Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be together, and it's a good time in the life of our church because we are diving into our mission. You know, why are we here? What are we all about? And, you know, we're looking at the past and the present and where God wants to take us in the future, and we're saying this is Vineyard. And we've landed on a simple summary, which I think captures our mission so beautifully, and it is this. We are a people who encounter love, experience transformation, extend the miraculous. And ex encounter love, last week that's what Leah did so beautifully as she explained the love of the Father, that he's all for us, he embraces us. Today I'm going to look at experience transformation, you know, which starts with you know, trusting Jesus and all that he has done for us and his marvelous redeeming work on the cross. And then next week, Mike will address extend the miraculous, that we actually believe all of us can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the same and greater works as Jesus. So this is Vineyard. But for today, I will focus now on experience transformation. And I think this is a topic that's of interest to all of us. You know, we're born with a desire to be changed, to be transformed. And we often go about it in the wrong way. We, we take things into our own hands, <laughs> sometimes to our detriment. Illustration way back when I was just a gangly, skinny, pimply 13-year-old. Can I just say, it can be tough to be a teenager. It, it can. <laughs> I was desperate for curves. Well, I'm reading in a, a teen magazine, I stumble on an advertisement for a very simple machine that promised overnight transformation. So I'm like, yes, that costs some money. So I decided to save my babysitting money, which at the time I got paid 50 cents an hour. Hey, there's some inflation has taken place. <laughs> so saved up, wrote the letter. But unfortunately, my dad found the letter before I sent it. And that letter was never sent, and the curves never came. Transformation was aborted, okay? <laughs> but all of us, because we're human, we have a God-given desire to be transformed. And I want you to know that's actually a God-fulfilled desire, too. That's best, because when we take into our own hands, we inevitably run into all kinds of hiccups, for sure. Now, you know, I'm gonna, I just lost my place there, sorry. This is the kernel that I want to leave you with today. Transformation, God's way. So transformation starts with truth. And then obviously we have to embrace that truth, act on that truth, but transformation starts with truth. Many of you are familiar with the scripture that says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you Free, right, so you, you already know that. Okay, so this is the truth that I'm going to invite you to right now today, and that is this. Every one of us, me, you included, need to attend a funeral. We need to attend a funeral right here and right now in order to experience the transformation that God has for us, we need to attend a funeral. Let's pray. Father, what you have done in rescuing and redeeming and transforming us 
is so miraculous and so marvelous. We, we can't comprehend it on our own. We need you, Holy Spirit. Come. Teach us today. Open the scriptures to us today. Just soak us in your love. Soak us in your truth. Continue to, to transform us so that we truly reflect you wherever we go, whatever we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, whose funeral is this? Well, this funeral is your funeral, and this funeral is my funeral. The very mysterious, I'll be the first to know, tell you, at times some confusing, but nevertheless marvelous truth of the scripture is if you are in a relationship with Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have died. And the sooner you acknowledge that death, attend that funeral, if you will, the sooner true transformation starts. Okay, let me, let me go to the scripture, because that's, some of you are looking at me like, okay, yeah. All right. For the, this is now 2 Corinthians 5. Now, this is written by the Apostle Paul. In, in my opinion, 2 Corinthians 5 is probably the most revelatory passage in the entire New Testament, okay? And we're going to be here today with some texts, but we'll, we'll hop around also, but listen to this. Again, all who are disciples of Jesus Christ, the sooner we can acknowledge we have died, you know, the old, sinful, selfish you, me, have died, the sooner transformation starts. Okay, this is what he has to say. For the love, this does release love in your heart, of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, now that can, again, be kind of heady. But simply, what does it say? One died. That one is Jesus. Most of us know that. One died. But then, so did we. All died. You died. I died. And embracing this truth is so important if we want to experience the transformation. We have to agree to the death of the old sinful me. Okay, why? Because God has something so marvelous planned. It goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to say this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, included in Christ, in that relationship with Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> so we don't stay in that grave, right? Sometimes we sing here, run out of that grave, right? No, we rise up alive in Christ to live as a brand new creation. I love how this text says, the old has passed away. Confession. I love to read the obituaries. Now, I know that might sound kind of morbid, but actually it's a really good discipline. It causes you to, like, think about life and, and, and what, what was important to people. Did they have faith? Did they have family? Anyway, that's not the point of this message. Uh, it's, it's not all about funerals, by the way. So I love to read the obituaries because they almost all start with, you know, sis, uh, Sally Sue 
on October 13, 2021, passed away. That means she died, right? Passed away. Not just, when we use the word passed away, it's not just like, well, kind of fades out into the, to, to the oblivion. No, no, no. Passed away means died. And so when Paul says the old has passed away, he's saying the old you, the old sinful, selfish, anxious, immoral, <laughs> you fill in the blank, the old you has died. And behold, the new has come, a brand new creation. We are actually that masterpiece. Julie talked about this the first week. Another Pauline scripture from Ephesians 2.10, he said, for we are God's masterpiece. He has what? Created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are no longer condemned, guilty, shame-filled, hateful, anxious, immoral, selfish sinners. <laughs> I like to say it this way. We now are saints now, sinners no more. Saints is just a biblical word for a holy, righteous, clean person. Saints now, sinners no more. No, that old identity has died. But we have a problem. Most of us are still stuck in the old identity of sinner whether it's by experience or because we've never heard the truth of what Jesus' work actually did in our lives. No, we still act like a sinner. We make stupid choices. We make wrong choices. We're still maybe consumed with anxiety or hate or fear or any number of things, or we let culture define, you know, it's all about me, who am I, what is my destiny, very self-centered. So much of Christianity is very focused on the self and very focused on sin. Actually, many Christians try to manage their sin, right? They exert willpower, I've done that, instead of spirit power. Try to fix up the old sinful me. Try to clean up or like kill off the old me. <laughs> and so much of it doesn't work. It's very sin-focused, very self-focused. Doesn't work. I often say it this way. It's like, okay, I'm trying to fix the old me. It's like putting makeup on a corpse. Yeah, like introspecting, trying to, to, to make myself look better. Or I'm still just dragging that old me around, being burdened and weighed down by the sins. I'm telling you, you drag a corpse around, that's going to stink. Okay? <laughs> you don't want to do that, right? No. See, if we don't know the truth, of our brand new identity, that we're this new creation, that the old me has died. I have risen again to live. You know what? We're going to continue in a very, you know, frustrating and often sinful lifestyle. And so this is why the truth starts here. Transformation starts with this truth. The old you, the old me has died in Christ, and we have risen again. Folks, this is no just little measly cleanup. This is a crucifixion. And that's not fiction. The Apostle Paul also said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. I mean, this is an astounding truth. It really is. But if you don't know that, if you don't start with that, 
again, we're left to our own efforts often. You know, let me tell you a story of how important identity, this identity is to then how we behave, how we live. Um, I'm from Peoria, Illinois, and during the summer, uh, when I was in college, I worked for a summer program for children who were in difficult situations. Uh, some of them had special needs, others, you know, their house, their home situation wasn't great because I was getting my degree in special education. And so one day, two boys were brought in, two twins, Timmy and Tommy, and when they were brought in and, and put down, they couldn't stand, and they were like five years old, so they, they weren't infants, but they, they crawled like this. We're like, oh. And then when we addressed them and were, were chatting with them, they, they, instead of, like, again, talking like a five-year-old, they said, oof, 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 oof. We're like, What? What has gone on? I mean, these weren't stupid kids. We later found out. They actually were quite smart. We, we would put food in front of them, and they wouldn't eat it. But if we put it down in a bowl, they would lick up the, the milk or eat the graham cracker. We're like, what? Well, what we found out. I mean, this was like my first experience ever for, with feeling the compassion of Jesus, and I wasn't even a believer at the time. But what I, we found out is they had been kept in a cage at their home and were treated like dogs. So their whole identity was, I'm a dog. And that's how they acted. That's how they communicated. Well, thankfully, you know, uh, Children Home Services rescued them out of that home, brought them to our summer program, and we watched them. It didn't actually take that long for them to blossom, you know, surrounded by love and being spoken the truth of who they were as healthy uh, little five-year-old boys. No, when we continue in an old identity as sinner, that's basically how we will end up acting, okay? Maybe because we don't know better. But the truth is we're not half saint, half sinner, half holy, half hellish. No, no, no. We are saints now, sinners no more. And transformation starts with that truth. It's an amazing truth. Again, hard for many of us to believe because, like, why still sin? Yeah, well, so do I. Thankfully, we have a Savior who really is all about delivering us and setting us free and conforming and transforming us into people of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, okay? And it's best if we do this together. We need one another, holding one another, you know, accountable and, and encouraging one another in this brand new identity as righteous, holy, clean saints in the eyes of God. But it takes time. So I don't want you to think it's an overnight transformation because that's not the experience of most of us, right? <laughs> it, we, we have some transformation, but it's a, it's a relationship with God. And so relationships, you know, they, they're built on trust and communication and leaning uh, on one another. And so this transformation takes time, takes time. So I want to share with you several stories. And the first one is a story about our church that happened about 10 years ago. And I particularly like this because it shows you time. It takes time for truth to take root Right, and for transformation to begin to happen more fully. 
And then secondly, I want to go to the scripture. Because I can tell you all the stories in the world, but if it's not rooted in scripture, I don't want you to take take it as truth, okay? So it's rooted in scripture. So I'll share scripture. And then lastly, we'll finish with the story of a young woman who's part of this church, and she'll share her story of experiencing transformation. Okay, so here we go. This is a story that happened in our church family. And you need to know, we've always, as a church, believed in the power of transformation. I mean, you know, we were, we've always emphasized the Holy Spirit, Him filling us and bringing transformation, bringing healing, you know, and, and so it's not like this was a new truth, but many of us were frustrated and way too sin-focused. So a lot of our prayers were like, oh, what do I need to clean up? W- what do I need to fix? Or, oh, okay, God, I'm going to do better next time. Or, you know, we tried to manage sin. And Again, our intentions were, Lord, we want to be transformed. We want to look like the disciples that you say we're to be. Again, filled with fruit and joy and peace. Okay. So we were frustrated, but thankful for all that God has done. Then, one fateful, freezing day in January 2012, everything changed. You know, I love... This is an aside. You don't know. At any moment, God unleashes something in your life. It's often when you're not expecting it. Just be alert, and you can trust him. Okay, that's just an aside. Okay. So, I have to back up a couple weeks into December. My husband, Happy, had received not one, not two, but six phone calls from a man named Todd White. Now, we didn't know this guy at all, but our son, one of our sons, had connected with him and exchanged numbers, and now this guy is calling us, and he said, hey, God has a message for your church, and I'm being sent to deliver it. And I'm like, red flag all over it. Like, no, there's no way. Like, we just don't have people, you know, come up here and, and somebody we don't know. I mean, that's a shepherd's heart, okay? We've been commanded to keep you safe from the wolves and all, okay? So, no, no, but he kept calling. So then I said to Hap, okay, look, I'm going to Google this dude, okay? Because nowadays you can find stuff out about people. Oh, my goodness. There he was. He looked like some wild John the Baptist guy. I'm like, there is no way, Hap. He wouldn't quit. We, we did, we actually, of course, prayed about it. And finally, Hap says, I just think we should have him. Okay, okay. I'll compromise. But it's going to be the first week in January. It's going to be below zero. No students will be here. And half our church will be gone because they're on Christmas break. Okay, we're good. One and done. We're good. Okay. So, fine. We tell him he arrives. Interestingly, he wanted to stay in our home. I'm like, okay, this is good. I can keep an eye on him. Yeah, this is good. So he, the first night, we just met with some of the leaders. And, you know, it, it was okay. I mean, he did this weird thing I'd never seen. It's going to totally date me. But he did this thing called bebopping or something, like with a microphone. Or I don't know. You guys all know what it is, right? I thought, oh, okay, this is cool. Okay, but it's okay. Like, you know, I, I have you know, a big family. I, I get it. Okay. So, um, and, and then he just starts telling stories, and he's like very, he's 
funny and he is engaging. And then he says, but you know, I have been sent here to drop a bomb. Now I was sitting right there in the front row and I'm like, I know what bombs do, they destroy, right? So I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. I started praying in the spirit, you know, praying in tongues, okay? Because <laughs> that's praying in harmony with the will of God, okay? Well, I didn't know what God's will was, which he then said, as I'm like lamenting this, he goes, I have been sent here to unleash a revival. And I'm not amening. I'm like, no, I don't want revival. Now, I know that sounds blasphemous coming from a pastor. I didn't want revival. I've lived through five revivals, and I want you to know, as good as they are, they're messy. People lay on the floor. They call you at all hours of the night. Demons are flying all over the place. Like, I, I actually, no, this is, like, this is the way it was. I didn't want that, and I'm sorry, but okay. But how many of you know just because you don't want it that God can't get his way? <laughs> it's so good, right? Okay. But... This is the next statement. He says, I'm going to unleash a revival. A revival of righteousness. And it begins in every one of you. There he was pointing. And I felt the sword of the spirit pierce my heart. I knew it was 100% truth. And I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Now, that's kind of embarrassing. I've been preaching the gospel for a long time. Did I know that righteousness was a biblical word and concept? Oh, absolutely. I knew that. But I had no idea what the Holy Spirit was doing in unleashing a revival of righteousness. He was taking that foundational scripture of our church, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all will be added to you, right? I'm like, okay, God. And we committed, we, we committed hours to prayer and study and seeking God out of this whole journey was birthed the School of Kingdom Ministry because the focus was all on, oh my goodness, the righteousness of God. What what? I, I know it's more than just being restored into right relationship with the Father. It had to do with we are actually righteous in our being. The old sinful nature is dead. I have been born anew, right, into a new righteousness that I didn't have before. Saint now, sinner no more. I'm telling you, we've only scratched the surface, and it's been 10 years but it starts, transformation starts with this truth, right? I went right back to that 2 Corinthians 5, which is such a revelatory chapter, and it ends with this verse. For our sake, he made him, so that's God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, say it with me, the righteousness of God. Wow. I don't have to be sin-focused anymore. I can be Savior-focused. I don't have to be self-focused. 
I can be son of God focused. Why? Because he took all my sin. He bore it on the cross. And he now gives me his righteousness. That old me died, and now I rise up to live as a brand new righteous creation. Don't hear me say, oh, you'll never sin again. Oh, you'll have plenty of opportunities because it's a relationship of trust and dependence and growth, okay? You're going to have to wait till heaven to never sin again, okay? But I want to say to you, why do you want to? That's despising the cross of Jesus Christ. That's despising the shed blood of Jesus to say, oh, well, oh, well. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Christ lives in me. Well, this has been an incredible, incredible journey for us as a church. But like I said, I want to anchor it in the scripture. I want not just the epistles, but you know what? I like to look back at the early church. I like to look at the book of Acts because... They've been given the same mission as us, right? To encounter love, experience transformation, extend the miraculous. And we actually get to see, how did they live it out? Like in everyday life, what, what does it look like? Okay, this amazing gospel. So I'm going to take you to a story of a guy named Philip. And I love Philip because he's just an ordinary guy. He's like, like you and he's like me. Very, very ordinary. And we first meet him in the book of Acts when he is chosen to be a busboy. That's right. Did you know the kingdom's upside down? Yeah, he gets chosen to wait on tables. And you know what the qualifying characteristics were? It says he was a man of faith, wisdom, honor, and full of the Holy Spirit. Faithfully serve, folks. Sometimes that's where some of us need to start. Just faithfully serve. And that's what he did in Jerusalem until persecution breaks out. Then he's like, oh, no. Uh, they all fled to Samaria. And he gets to Samaria, and he's no longer waiting on tables. Actually, now he's proclaiming this good news about Jesus' death and resurrection, our inclusion in it, that you can become a brand new creation. The kingdom of God has come. And you know what happened? Demons start flying. Lame and paralyzed people get healed. And it said there was so much joy in that city. And then Peter and John show up, and they're like, okay, this is great, but have you guys, have, have you received baptism in the Holy Spirit? They're like, we didn't even know anything about a Holy Spirit. I mean, Philip did, but he hadn't prayed for them. So they pray, everybody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and more miracles break out. It's just tremendous, tremendous revival, true revival. Well, you'd think, this is great, except an angel shows up to Philip and says, hey, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go to this desert road near Gaza. I have an assignment. Go there. It's like, what? I mean, don't you see all the good stuff happening here? I mean, oh, that must be the devil or an angel, you know, of darkness. No, that was God. And I love this about Philip. He obeys. So he goes, and he's... It's no small trek, by the way. I mean, don't think like, you know, hop in your car or, you know, anything like that. It's a 60-mile, like, trek to the desert. And he gets there, and he sees, he sees a chariot. And in the chariot is a black man. And this black man is, like, reading a scroll. It's like, 
what? What's going on? And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go up to him. This is what I think is so transformational. Philip is a Middle Eastern Jew, okay? You, you don't cross ethnic lines, okay? <laughs> he has no problem going up to a black man sitting in a chariot reading a scroll, and what he finds out is this a, is a eunuch from Ethiopia, a very prominent man in the court of the queen. Actually, he's in charge of the entire royal treasury. And there he is reading a Jewish text. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> so he obviously had been in Jerusalem worshiping. Somehow he'd gotten a scroll. But he's reading this, and it, he has a confused look on his face. And so Philip goes up to him and says, uh, hey, do, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, I mean, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? I mean, that's how I feel about the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> you know, actually how I feel about a lot of the Bible. <laughs> we need help. And Philip was right there ready to explain. But this is what I love. I absolutely love this part. Do you know what text he was reading? <laughs> None other than Isaiah 53. Stay with me here. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus' name isn't mentioned in this text. It takes a revelation to understand this text. You see, Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was oppressed and afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter. But out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, that's Jesus, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Now, that's a mouthful. But this is what you need to know. That's the incredibly great exchange, right? Where Jesus took all of our sins, and not just our sin, our sin nature, on to the cross. He bore it for us, the righteous one, for the sinful one, that we might have his righteousness. Transformation starts with that truth. Well, as they were going along, the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, why is this important? You know, a lot of times people say to me, well, why, why should I be baptized? Is, I, I mean, is it that important? I don't know. I, like, I don't actually want to get wet. or Yeah, I mean, isn't it just about, like, cleansing your sins? I'm like, Wrong on all counts. No, first of all, Jesus commanded baptism, but baptism is so incredibly important. Why? Because it is an outward witness, an outward demonstration of the incredible inward truth that what? I've died. 
So I'm going to go under the watery grave. I'm going to be buried. I've been buried with Christ, crucified with Christ, and then I'm going to rise up alive in Christ, a brand new creation. And I'm testifying to anyone and everyone that is what has happened to me. Wow. October 31st, you can have the opportunity to be water baptized here, to testify to friends and family, again, whoever, that the old you has died. You've attended that funeral once and for all, and you have been buried with Christ, risen with Christ, now filled with the Holy Spirit to extend the miraculous wherever you go. You know, lastly, I just want to emphasize the importance that we do this together. We're on this journey together. We celebrate together, we worship together, we meet together, and that is where I want to go with the story today of destiny. Now, I met with several people uh, from Kent and Angela Kopenbarger's small group. And for those of you who don't know, I think they're in this service right there. Yes, they lead our college ministry. Yes, they, they lead our college ministry. They've uh, also led small groups. I mean, they're all about gathering people together so people can experience transformation, okay? And I got to hear the stories of like five or six different people being transformed through the small group often and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was so good, but I could only choose one to share with you today. So listen now to Destiny's story. Hi, <laughs> my name is Destiny, and I'm here to share a little bit about my story. So I'm from Chicago, I was raised on the south side. Um, I actually came to Christ when I was 12, and I didn't come to God for me, I came to God for my mom. She was an alcoholic. I was just asking God, like, hey, can you come in and save my mom, please help her. My transformation, my story with Vineyard really starts after my mom's death. That just hit for me on a different level. My mom was my home. She was everything, everything to me. Um, and when she died, I wanted to die too. But God was telling me that there was more, right? And that people needed what he had put in me. As far as it goes with Vineyard, I didn't really like Vineyard at first. I came from a predominantly black and like minority community back at yards in Chicago. So coming to Champaign and coming to the University of Illinois was really a culture shock to me. I didn't really feel like I belonged because of my blackness. Shade actually had invited me to Vineyard and y'all were doing a sermon about baptism. I went up there, I was crying, um, and I got baptized here at Vineyard. It was a terrific day. I still had a very cold heart. I was still very, like, standoffish. I didn't really mingle. Like, I mingled with people, but it was only people that I saw myself in. It really wasn't people that came from like a different culture or honestly was from Champagne or happened to be white. I started going to Angie and Ken's small group um, because once again I was being bugged by my friends about it and 
uh, they came home just telling me all these stories about like uh, how God was moving and people getting delivered. So I went one day and I remember the first day um, coming in and it just smelled like apples. Like it really just smelled like apple pie. Um, and I remember feeling like I was walking into a Thanksgiving, you know, like a family. That was the marker for me in that night. I think that specifically in Ken and Angie's small group, it was a variety of people from different cultures and different ages. And, you know, we were these young black kids trying to see where Jesus was. So it was, it was hard for me at first to adjust to it, even in that first session in that first meeting I really didn't warm up to it but it was coming back again and again I got I got warmed up I realized that I was transformed and I felt like I was at home I knew that I had a place here I am not alone here at the Vineyard Church yes she's not here today she's in Chicago so we say hi thank you destiny for just sharing she illustrated the sermon so well. <laughs> you know, dragged by friends, resistant, and yet yielded to, to the water baptism. And then the whole experience of the small group, just doing life with people not like her. But transformation is ongoing. And that's the invitation for all of us, right? To encounter the love of the Father, experience transformation by the redeeming work of Jesus, extend the miraculous. This is Vineyard. And we want all of you to be a part. So we're going to transition now because we're going to sing about this amazing King Jesus today. And just allow yourself to just allow the Holy Spirit to bring more transformation as you acknowledge the truth that we'll sing today. Amen. <laughs> 